This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, why bother with the Bible? We're asking this question today to Richard Bogonan. Richard has been in the Lloyds of London insurance market for over 45 years, and he's held various international industry leadership positions, including being chairman of a Lloyds broking firm. Today, Richard runs his own broking and consulting company and is an enthusiastic entrant in classic car rallies. However, Richard now spends the majority of his time sharing the Bible with senior executives, having co-written the Word One-to-One, a set of user-friendly notes which help people engage with the person of Jesus. And he joins me now. Please welcome Richard Bogonan. Richard, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Now, Richard, you work in insurance. Now, I actually used to work in insurance myself. You poor thing. Yeah, well, some people used to think that insurance is very boring. And there's even a website that says uh, insuranceisboring.com. So when people meet you and you say you work in insurance, do people's eyes glaze over and think that you're really boring? Well, let's put it this way. I don't think anybody ever grew up thinking, <laughs> oh, I must go into the insurance industry. No. But actually, it's a, it's a closely guarded secret because it's actually extremely interesting. Yes, well, that's what I, my experience was. It was interesting. <laughs> you find it interesting? I have found it interesting for over 45 years. It's very, very varied. Okay, well... To kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions, and today we're asking Richard Bogonan about why we should bother with the Bible. So, Richard, I thought I'd test you on how much people bother with the Bible today in Australia. Now, this might be a little bit tough considering you're not from Australia, but we'll see how we go. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Okay, question one. In 2014, McCrindle Research conducted a survey using visits to the world's most popular Christian website, BibleGateway.com. Now, according to this research, which Australian city was most engaged with the Bible? Was it A, Sydney, B, Brisbane, C, Melbourne, or D, Darwin? Well, because I don't want to be lynched and I'm sitting in Melbourne, I'm going to say C, Melbourne. Well, unfortunately, you needed to perhaps go with some different convictions, perhaps, because the answer is actually A, Sydney. So while Sydney and then Brisbane were the most engaged, the survey revealed that overall Australians are less engaged with the Bible than residents of the US and the UK. So it's question two. Okay, we'll try to get you to pass. We'll see how you go. Question two. According to the same survey conducted by McCrindle Research, what percentage of Australians own a Bible? And I'll give you a clue. The number is pretty close to the UK percentage. Okay, was it A, 95%, just about everyone owns a Bible. It's a book worth bothering with. Is it B, 70%, nearly three quarters? C, 45%, less than half? Or D, 15%, why would anyone bother with the Bible? Well, I hope it's as high as 45%. What do you reckon? Well, I'm asking you the question. So, um, I would go with that one, though, if you wanted to get it right. So would you go with that one? I'm going to go with that one. Okay, excellent. Well, it, the answer is actually C. Yes, it's 45%, yeah, there less you go. than half. Yeah, so, well... Richard, you needn't have bothered worrying for you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions right. So a big round of applause. <laughs> so Richard... I, I actually thought Sydney for the first one, but it was because I was in Melbourne that I oh, gave you no, the... I, I, I appreciate your graciousness with that. And, and, but unfortunately... And, but you did pass in the end, so we, we managed to get you there. So 
So anyway, Richard, so it does seem that many people in the Bible, and indeed much of the world, don't really bother with the Bible. Yet the Bible is particularly important to you now, and you share it with senior executives around the world. But the Bible wasn't always so important for you. So tell me, did you grow up with a religious background? Yes, but I'm glad you used the word religious, actually, rather than Christian, because we were a church-going family. So you used to go to church as a a child? We did, yeah. And uh, the sad reality is, is I don't remember one word that the guy standing in the pulpit actually said. I remember he wore an incredibly great pair of curtains. They were fantastic material you had on his back. And uh, I remember the ceremony... But I, I sadly do not think he was a Bible teacher. Right. And I therefore don't remember one word he said. Yeah, okay. So, but something changed. So what happened? Well, it did because my eldest sister got married and she started to go to a Bible teaching church. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. And uh, she was living uh, a long way away in the country. But she said, look, if you get on your bicycle, my boy, and actually ride five miles, you can find a church which is just like the one that you like when you come and stay with me. And uh, so I got on my bike and I discovered a church called Emmanuel. And I thought it was a brilliant idea because I discovered they had 200 kids in the youth group from the ages of 14 to 20 and more than half of them were girls Robert right. so I thought this was a particularly brilliant <laughs> okay, idea right yeah so you were riding your bike to meet girls and hear the Bible so what was it about you you said you enjoyed hearing the Bible talk what was it about that that you enjoyed well I think I can summarize that back best by saying that the youth group then invited us away on a New Year's Eve party what they'd done is they hired a boarding school And uh, they took us away on New Year's Eve and we went back home on New Year's Day. And on New Year's Eve, they had a guest speaker who, um, I now see the irony of this, actually opened the book of John. And for the first time, book of the Bible. And for the first time in my life, I heard the verse John three sixteen, mm-hmm. which is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Yeah, and and uh, I'll leave you to look it up. But when I actually heard it, I thought that's extraordinary. So Christ died for me. That's extraordinary. And this guy then offered a little booklet to help you look into Christianity. But you had to ask him as you exited the hall that we were listening to him speak. Yeah. Well, of course, like every kid there, I was concentrating on the party that was going to come next. Right. And the party was going to occur up this massive flight of stairs that was right behind the speaker. So you can imagine. I, I go towards the speaker thinking you should get that book, Richard. You, this has been completely revolutionary for you today to hear this but the stairs drew me on because I was going to the party and uh, I got to the foot of the stairs having chickened out getting the book and suddenly I thought you've got that wrong so I fought against the crowd and went back to him and you know what I got the very last copy of the booklet Mm -hmm. I threw it in my suitcase enjoyed the party yeah but when I got home the next day I really did discover for the first time what the promises of God were expressed through the book of John yeah and I found myself literally kneeling beside my bed saying look Lord if you are there please help me with my unbelief I've just heard that you died on a cross for me because Mm. it's not a case of me being good enough to get you. You've just explained that my righteousness is only ever going to be like filthy rags. Mm. You died in my place. Mm. If that's true, please come into my life. And that was actually 50 years ago, Robert. So here we are 50 years later. Best decision I ever made. So what was it about 
the, this message that really prompted you to want to go for it? Well, I think it was the personal nature. I had grown up with religiosity. You know, this whole point about... Um, well, you were a church-going family. A church-going family. I, 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 if you want to express it the way that the speaker expressed it during that evening, he said, look, man is like an open hand trying to reach up to God. Mm-hmm. It, or if not God, to try and be better. Yeah. So believing in reincarnation, don't know what the final destination is, whatever it is. But let's say it's man trying to reach up to God. Now, what John explained to me was that I was never, ever going to be good enough. Mm. You know, if, if the pass mark is 100% pure math, then actually 99% is a failure. Right. So I could live as good a life as I possibly could but I'm not going to get there because the pass mark is 100%. So what John explained was that, in fact, God loved me so much, he sent his son as a man to live as a man and to then take my sin on the cross in an undeserved way. So sin is like... Sin sin is actually not recognising that I needed the son to be right with the Father. That's that's the reality of sin. It was all about the fact that I wasn't recognising Jesus in my life. So um, once I realised that, I was driven to my knees. You mean that God loved me so much that he sent his son that he would die on a cross to make me right with God. And if you want to express it in, in human hand terms, there I was reaching up, trying to get to God, but I was blocked off by the fact that I was never going to be good enough. Along comes sinless, spotless Christ. He takes off of me the blockage between me and God on the cross. He carries my sin. If I put my trust in that cross and what he has done, then God reaches down and gets hold of me. And that was revolutionary for you? Totally. I'd never heard that. Yeah. A question's just come in from our text line from our live audience. Is, um, how is the Bible not simply part of religiosity? Well, I think there's a huge difference. You see, if you read the Bible, you discover it is all about Christ. And I look at religiosity, and religiosity is man is always important. It's always about you've got to actually be good enough. So you've got no certainty. Whereas in Christianity, you discover that there is certainty. John 1 verse 12 talks about being adopted into God's family with absolute certainty because Christ has the right to offer you that adoption. Mm. Now, that's absolutely mind-blowing. There's no, if you look at any of the other world religions, you will not find certainty. You will find it's all about what I must do. No, in Christianity, it has been done. And that's one of the key differences between a, a sort of a religious system and what the, the Bible's offering. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that Christianity is called Christianity for a reason. It's Christ-centric, and I no longer call myself religious. Mm. I'm not into churchianity, you know, the following of the ceremony, and I don't view myself as religious. I am a Christian. I put my trust in Christ. Mm. So you were, this was obviously a revolutionary experience for you in your teenage years, but the Bible became more important to you at a particular point uh, in more recent history uh, when you thought it was really worth bothering with. This was a particular incident where you saw the real power and impact of the Bible when you, were, when you introduced uh, world's leading mathematicians and leading Christian author John Lennox to uh, one of Europe's most powerful insurance brokers a number of years ago. The two of them were gathered together at this particular meeting can you share what happened at this particular 
meeting. Yeah, I was doing classic car events with Europe's most powerful insurance broker. And so in, this is with your classic cars, you're yeah, driving, driving your cars. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you're in the car, you can't listen to the radio or go on your phone. You, you, you are either concentrating like crazy, trying not to kill each other, <laughs> sure. uh, or, uh, or actually, you, whilst you're waiting in the paddock for the next race, you start talking about what's important. So I had discussed my faith with this friend of mine, and I suggested that he would find it intellectually interesting to meet Professor John Lennox, who's mm -hmm. got the Bible at his fingertips. Brilliant mathematician yes. and a huge author. So my friend agreed to a dinner yeah. and my friend adored three and a half hours of what actually as a watcher of this dinner sitting on the sidelines was like a mismatch finals at Wimbledon. Right. So you're watching, them, you're watching these two people well, I'm sitting discuss. At the, I'm sitting at the dinner table and my non-Christian friend is lobbing intellectually interesting questions at the good professor. But actually, like most people, of course, my non-Christian friend was biblically ignorant because it's an age where people don't know what the Bible says. Yeah. And the professor's answers were always coming from the Bible. I knew that, but my non-Christian friend didn't. But he found the whole process incredibly intellectually stimulating. So he found that enjoyable? To, oh, he be, loved to be smashed it. at Wimbledon, he so to speak? He loved it. He intellectually <laughs> adored the process. It was very stimulating. So he literally begged the professor at the end of the first dinner of three and a half hours, look, I found this fantastic. Would you come back again? He's a glutton for punishment. He's a glutton for, so he goes another three and a half hours on a second dinner. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. I got to the end of seven hours of debate like that, and I pulled out my white um, napkin that was on my lap, and I waved it in the air. I surrendered. <laughs> I said, I'm very sorry, boys, but I don't want to do another one of these. And my European insurance broker friend turned to me and said, why, Richard? I absolutely love this. It's so stimulating, he said. And I turned on, he's a good friend, I turned on him and said, no, look, I've known you for over 30 years. At long last, I found a subject you know absolutely nothing about. Mm. Don't beat yourself up, but most people are biblically ignorant. And what you're not understanding is every time that man over the table gives an answer, the answer's coming from the Bible. So I can't see any point in meeting again unless we ask him to come back and show you where he's getting this stuff from. Mm. Well, he was so shocked at my rudeness, he agreed to a third dinner. <laughs> right, okay. And the professor turned up with one sheet of paper. It had 18 sentences on it. And the 18 sentences were what I now know to be the unique start to John's Gospel. Right, yeah. One of the four Gospels at the start of the New Testament, and it's an 18-sentence executive summary, I would call it, in the city. Anywhere else, I would call it an overview. It's yeah. absolutely unique. There's no other passage like it in the Bible. And here's how it went. In fact, I've got it here, so let me read it out. Sure. Because, so the first verse of John 1 is, In the beginning was the word... And my friend immediately launched, well, hang on a minute, you don't seriously believe there was a beginning, do you? And the professor said, well, look, actually, let's read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's suggesting in the beginning was God. And then we got to verse 2, and verse 2 said, he was with God in the beginning. And my friend said, wait a minute, do you mean to tell me that God is not an amorphous mass? And the professor said, well, no, look at it. It actually starts with the he. God is personal. Well, that really rocked my friend. He had never thought of God as being personal. And then we got to verse 3. Through him all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, I have no doubt that my friend, like most people, expected the Bible to have some outrageous claims. You know, a bit, to be honest, a bit like the maker's instructions, you know, the book that's in the glove box of the car. And here was an outrageous statement that was claiming God made everything. Mm. And do you know what he did? His, his nickname in our industry was actually Golden Tonsils. Right. And Golden Tonsils... Why was that? Was it he, could... he was brilliant. Brilliant. He could talk the hind legs off a donkey. I'm a brilliant bloke. And actually, he mumbled at verse 3. We got to verse 4, sentence 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And at verse 4, Golden Tonsils, Tonsils fused. Metaphorically, his jaw hit the dining room table because for the first time in his life, he was being shown the outrageous clarity of the claims of God. In Christ, in the word, is life. And that life is the light of all mankind. If you want to live life to the full, it isn't about the way that you try and live life in your so-called personal freedom. It is actually that your maker loves you so much, he's got a life for you which will be to the full mm. because he made you. Well, that was stunning. And actually, my dear friend sat there for the rest of the evening in stunned silence as the professor unfolded sentence after sentence after sentence. He was dumbstruck yeah. by the clarity of what the gospel actually said. And I suppose this clarity was come by actually engaging the words of the Bible themselves. It wasn't coming from the professor. It was not the skill, cunning and brilliance of one of the world's top mathematicians. It was coming from the word of God. It was coming from John, the gospel writer. And so that conversation was different to that previous seven hours of debate and tennis lobs, so to speak, that had been happening? Yes, one was intellectually stimulating as a conversation. The other was absolutely mind-blowing in clarity because here were answers, and the answers made complete sense. And they weren't coming from a man. They were coming from the written word of God, the mm. creator, and he could see it. Mm. And it really surprised Golden Tonsils, so to speak. Stunned him. It didn't. It was stunning me. I'd never seen it before. I've been a Christian for a long time. No one had ever shown me the executive summary at the start of John's Gospel. Mm. So actually from that night, I rushed back to my local church in the city of London and got hold of the minister and said, would you please teach me how to teach the book of John? Because my, my senior friends need to see this. I've just seen Europe's most powerful insurance broker silenced, not by the intellect of a man, but by the word of God. And I'd like to show it to my friends. Mm. So what happened after that? Well, my minister thought I was very strange because uh, actually he said, yes, of course I'll teach you. But as he taught me, I wrote notes. And I had to explain to him that what I wanted was exactly what I would have at work. I wanted the, the contract, if you like, the, the, the sentences from the Bible, and I wanted alongside it the questions that those verses, those sentences raised, and I wanted the answers. Because I wanted to be able to walk out and show my friends and discuss it. Verse, question, answer. Nobody being put on the spot, nobody being embarrassed. The ability to be able to discussion because we will both be looking at the same thing. Exactly what we do at work. Mm, mm, mm. And so what, what happened after that? They were, they were sort of gathered together and created... 
Well, it was extraordinary. I actually saw uh, a very senior executive in the city, and I said, listen, first time in my life I've actually seen a passage in the Bible that's absolutely brilliant. I'd never seen it before. Haven't you always thought that one day you'd have a look at the book that sold more copies than any other in the history of printing? Your statistics about Australia just prove the point. Mm. 45% of homes have got a Bible in them. Mm. Now, it might be collecting dust, mm. but the homes have got a Bible. Why do people buy the Bible? Well, they actually expect it's probably got some good stuff in it. So I was saying to this senior executive, haven't you always thought one day you'd have a look at the book that sold more copies than any other? Wouldn't you expect it's probably got some good stuff in it? Well, I've found this executive summary. I'm very excited about it. I've got some great notes. Can I buy you a coffee? I'd like to show you the executive summary. All I'll say to you at the end is, did you enjoy that? And if you did, would you like to find out what happened next? Mm. Well, he turned to me over the lunch. He looked very quizzical because nobody had ever said this to him before. And he said, you know what, Richard, I would. Because I've often thought one day I really should get round to reading the Bible, mm. but I wouldn't know where to start, and it's a very big book. Mm. But if you say there's an executive summary, I'll have a look at that. So this, so this surprised you? I was quite surprised. So we sat down, we had a coffee, we looked at it. He said at the end, when I said, did you enjoy that and would you like to see what happens now? He said, I would. He said, Richard, in fact, I can tell you now, Robert, 12, 13 years on, Every single person I've ever shown John 1, verses 1 to 18 to, has said in some format what I'm about to say to you now. And it's quite stunning to Christians that this happens. Here's what he said. Richard, how is it possible that no one has ever shown me this before? Now, frankly, as a Christian, that was quite damning. Mm. I've known this guy over 30 years. I'd never shown him. Mm. So I offered it to him, and uh, he immediately said, look, I'd like to know what happens next. Mm. So I rang back. So do you back. think that there was a sense in which he was finding this appealing, but it was unexpected? It was not what they thought that the Bible actually said? In both, it, you're, you're right on both counts. It surprised him, and he found it fascinating, is the word I would use. So mm. yes. Um, now, I had no clue as to why he'd said yes to meet with me. I later found out there was something going on in his life, which I would suggest to you, actually, it wasn't my skill, cunning and brilliance in talking him into that coffee. It was that God was at work, something was going on that had got him thinking, I haven't got life's answers. Mm. I don't feel at peace. But surely, I mean, you work in the city of London with successful business people, etc. They've got a, probably a classic car or two. Uh, surely they don't need to bother with, with a book like the Bible. Oh, you're so wrong. You see, the more that we accumulate, the more we discover it's not what we thought. So, for example, I, I work with many successful men who are on their multiple marriage. You know, they've been married many times. Uh, and, uh, they've, the, yes, they have got the Aston Martin parked in the garage, and, and they have got a holiday home, and they have got the kids in the right school, and they have got a powerful job with a big pay packet, it's not what they thought it was going to be. They're not at peace. They don't feel secure. Mm. I mean, for a start, around the world, I discover that when people say to me they don't feel secure, the number one thing they don't feel secure about now is the fidelity of relationships. So there's all sorts, you know, careers aren't for life anymore. Mm. So the more you achieve, actually, the more you discover it's not what I thought. Now, of course, the opposite could be true. Mm. It may be you've never got, you may not be in work at all. Mm. It might be your health is absolutely useless. It may be you've never met your life partner, mm. but you feel exactly the same as the person who's got all of those things. You don't, you're not at peace. Mm. You haven't discovered life's answers. So how does the Bible help? Well, it is life's answers. You see, that's the whole point. In him was life. 
and it was the light of all mankind. And people start looking at it and discover this thing's got answers. What comes next? And for the first time in their lives, they start to be interested in Christ because the whole book is entirely centered around the claim that actually Christ is the Son of God. He has come to make us right with God. The Bible talks about having a peace that passes all understanding. Well, I can't generate that myself. Mm. I've tried. So what's the impact been then on some of the senior business ex executives that you've you know, opened these words with? What's the impact on some of these, these men's lives? Life-changing. In what way? Well, I, I'll give you an example. I won't name names, but uh, a guy who had absolutely made it in worldly terms at the age of 57. Mm -hmm. He'd got all the things that the world could ever possibly have given him. So you mean like things like career? He had um, the career, he had the fancy cars, plural, he had homes, plural. Uh, he was happily married, he had a very senior job. He had more money than he could ever dreamt of. And he discovered it was not what he thought it was going to be. And as soon as he looked at the executive summary at the start of John, he did one of the classic statements, Richard, I've never seen this before. Why have I never seen this before? The more he looked into it, and we met week in, week out, having cups of coffee, taking slowly but surely the book of John apart through this thing, the word one-to-one, -one, which made it socially acceptable and easy for us to do. And he ended up giving his life to Christ. And if you ask him now, he says, the lights have gone on. And that's what my life is like. I've gone from black and white, fuzzy, I don't know where I'm really going, I'm not living in the light, to now I'm living in the light. Mm. And everything I'm seeing around me, I'm equating back to the creator of the universe. Mm. Well, that's fantastic. He's adopted me. So that's connected back to what we read in John about uh, in him was life. And so you've discovered that or the full HD life in Christ. Well, the second part of the verse is the bit you want. He's the light of all mankind. I came out of the darkness. And that's what's happened to so many of these men. So many of my uh, city guys, there are lives going on behind the scenes that you can't see. It may be depression, it may be alcoholism, it may be life's just not going well, it may be yet another horrendous divorce. And actually what they find is the biblical picture, I can be born again. I can start all over afresh. I can be washed of all the stuff I've done in the past, and it's not my righteousness. I can actually put on the righteousness of Christ. I've been made acceptable to God through Christ. It's all about him. Well, I can assure you, look, businessmen often don't talk about their private lives, but let me tell you, I, nothing that this world has given me Nothing that I have seen as being available to me comes close to the fullness of living my life with Christ. So, Richard, why bother with the Bible? It's life-changing. Why live in the dark if you can live in the light? Why not be for eternity a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God? I reckon that offer trumps anything. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, why bother with the Bible? From John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Richard Bogonan.
Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to the show. Now, this episode with Richard Bogonham was a delight to record, and in it we talked about the Word One to One resource. Now, if you'd like to find out more about the resource or get your own set of the Word One to One notes, check out the links in the show notes or visit thewordone21.com. Thewordone21.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Creating great content takes time and money, and for as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions for all the details. And that link is also in the show notes. So please also like Bigger Questions on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and share the show with someone you think might benefit from it. Let's get more people exploring the big questions of life. And we look forward to you joining us next week where we ask Andy Judd the big question, why should we believe the Bible if we can't agree on what it means? Here's a sneak peek from the show. So are our disagreements, uh, I guess, are there principles to them or do people just make the Bible mean whatever they want it to mean? And this is very important for me because I don't just read the Bible as a thing of interest uh, or for um, its literary qualities, though I do appreciate its, uh, it as literature. Uh, but I read the Bible because I believe it's God's word, so it's actually authoritative. Mm. And one of the, the big questions for me is how can it be authoritative if we can't agree what it means. That's going to happen next week on Bigger Questions. So thanks again for listening and remember to keep asking the bigger questions.